Welcome to the Fielder Church Podcast. Our church inhales and exhales the gospel every Sunday and is excited to bring our messages to you here. Thank you for joining us and we hope God moves in your life as you listen into this feed. You know, fear is an incredibly strong force. Fear is what's one of those things that when it grips you, it can make the strongest man paralyzed. It can fog up the mind of the sharpest intellect. Fear can actually affect you physiologically. I mean, shut your body down. Take, for instance, the fear of heights. I'm curious, any of you watching this have the fear of heights? Go ahead and admit it to everybody in the room. I'm, that's me. Jason's talking about me. Got the fear of heights. If you have the fear of heights, you know what happens when you get up high. You start getting sweaty palms. Your heart starts racing. It affects your body. Here's what's so interesting about the fear of heights. I can actually simulate that experience for you simply by watching a video about a person who does not have the fear of heights. In fact, I want you to watch this quick video in just one second. And I want you to pay attention to your body. I want you to think about your hands and your heart and how your insides feel as you watch this video and you're going to see the force of fear. Check this thing out. Watch this. Okay, I got to admit to you, I've watched that video like a hundred times and literally right now my palms are sweating. <laughs> I, I know the guy doesn't fall in the video, but it still affects me. There's just something about seeing this, this high image, knowing at any moment he could fall, it affects your entire body. And if you're like me, then you feel the same thing right now. Your heart is racing, your insides feel a little queasy. What you're feeling is the force of something called fear. It is a powerful force. Here's what's so intriguing about it. You right now are more than likely sitting on your couch. You are totally safe and yet you still feel afraid. That's the power of fear. Now, here's what I want you to know. Fear is not a bad thing. Fear is actually an instinct that God has given most of us so that we don't do dumb stuff like that guy was doing so we stay alive. You know, fear is a good thing as long as it's held in check. But the moment fear is left unchecked, it can begin to control you. Fear can start to consume you. Fear can begin to totally affect the way you view the world and the way you interact with the world. And ultimately, fear can keep you from becoming the person God designed you to be. And let's go ahead and be honest. Right now, fear has become all too commonplace in the new world we live in. Because if you haven't noticed, we're still in a global pandemic. And pandemics bring fear with them. And there are many of you watching this right now. And if you were honest with yourself, you're struggling with fear. You're so afraid. You're afraid that you might catch the coronavirus. You're afraid that you might be around somebody who's got the coronavirus. You're afraid that someone you love is going to get it and get sick and die. You're afraid that you might lose a loved one. You might lose a job. You might lose your savings account. You might lose so much of what you've had before and it makes you afraid. Some of you are afraid that August and September is going to come and you're not going to be able to send your kids back to school. You're scared to death that you got to keep up with your kids even longer. Some of you kids right now are going, am I even going to get my high school prom? Am I going to get to go to, to Friday night football games? You're, you're worried about, you're so afraid that it's not going to be what you'd hoped for. Some of you right now are worried about church. Are we ever going to get back to meeting together again? Are we ever going to get to experience community and worship together you're afraid. You're afraid we're never going to make it back to normal. Listen, I get it. It's understandable to be afraid. But here's what I want you to understand. If we leave that fear unchecked, it will control us. But I got good news for you. There is an antidote to fear. It's this little thing called faith. Faith is the antidote to fear. Faith conquers fear. 
This is the very message the Apostle Paul had for Timothy in the first part of 2 Timothy. I want you to open up your Bibles, if you will. Find 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, when you're finding 2 Timothy, I want to go ahead and help you understand. We're finishing a journey. Last week, we finished up 1 Timothy. Now we're moving into 2 Timothy. And what you're going to notice very early is that the tone and tenor of 2 Timothy is very different than 1 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, you see a gentle side to Paul. In 1 Timothy, Paul was rigid. He was demanding. He was firm and decisive. He said, Timothy, don't let these guys treat you badly. Stamp out the false teaching. Don't be timid. Don't let them look down upon you because of your youth. Be strong. He's commanding Timothy. But in 2 Timothy, you see Paul totally different, gentle and kind toward Timothy. And mainly it's because Paul's circumstances were so different. In 2 Timothy, Paul finds himself now in an incredibly horrible prison situation. He's imprisoned in Rome, most likely in a prison called Mamertime. Now, this prison was a dark, horrible place. The cells were dug out of the ground with one little hole that they lowered down the prisoner into. That hole was the only source of light, the only source of air. And it was they would drop the food and water down this place. And Paul was trapped in the bottom like a wild animal, just left there to rot and die. And more than likely, we're going to find out when we get to chapter four, a little bit later on, that he has already been convicted, tried, and he's just waiting his execution. He, he, know, he knows his day is coming. He is not long for this earth. And all that has affected the way that he's interacting with Timothy. And so he writes a letter to Timothy with some of his, he knows to be his last words, giving him the most important thing he could give him. So with that framework in your mind, I want you to jump in with me. <clears throat> Second Timothy, beginning in verse one of chapter one says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So you hear Timothy talking, or Paul talking to Timothy, and you see a tenderness to him. He's not rigid. He's not commanding. He's just saying, Timothy, my child, I want more for you. He starts off in verse two, Timothy, my beloved child. Verse three, he says, I thank God for you, Timothy. He says, I think about you constantly, Timothy. I, I pray for you night and day. In verse four, he says, I long to see you so that I can be filled with joy. Right there, it said, as I remember your tears, I long to see you. More than likely, what Paul is talking about is the last encounter he had with Timothy. Here he is meeting with his protege, his, his mentor, his mentee, and Paul is giving his goodbyes to Timothy before he is taken, imprisoned up to Rome. And apparently the last time that Timothy sees Paul, he just breaks down weeping uncontrollably to see his mentor, to see his teacher whisked off to Rome to be imprisoned. And apparently that picture in Paul's mind of seeing young Timothy there weeping just haunted him. He couldn't let go of that image. All he could see was those tears in Timothy's eyes. <clears throat> Listen, I, I want to know, I've experienced that kind of haunting vision before. I remember, this is back in the year 1999, I was going off to be a missionary, a journeyman missionary for two years. And I was at the airport and my parents had dropped me off at the airport. Now back then you could walk all the way to the terminal. This is before 9-11. And so my parents walked me up right to the terminal and I gave them a hug and a kiss and I took off to go onto the plane. As I'm on the jet bridge, about to turn the corner to get onto the plane, I look back one last time to wave at my parents. 
And when I look back, I see my mom and she is just weeping, sobbing uncontrollably. And that was the last image I had of my mom for two years until I saw her again. I want you to know that image haunted me. I I still can clearly see it. 21 years later, that picture of my mom sobbing uncontrollably because I could see her pain and that pain hurt me. I think that's what Paul's talking about. He could see the pain of young Timothy and it broke his heart and he just wanted to see Timothy again. What you see in these verses is a Paul who loves this child, who treats him as his own son, who's invested so much energy and attention in a Timothy and he longs to see him. He wants more for him. He knows he doesn't have many more years in this world, many more days in this world. And so he grabs Timothy and says, my dear child, I want to tell you something important. And what you're about to see is Paul is going to give Timothy an important word to help him in an, in an area that was really destroying Timothy. It was this area called fear. Look at verses six and seven. This is where you can see where he talks about it. Read these verses with me. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That verse seven is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. It's a verse that a whole lot of preachers are citing these days in this pandemic. This preacher up here is one of them because it's a beautiful passage. But we have to make sure we understand verse seven in context of verse six. There's a reason why he told this to Timothy. If you look back at verse six, he's talking about the need to fan into flame the gift of God that God has given him. That phrase, fan into flame, is one Greek word, and it carries the idea of rekindling a flame that is dying out, to to blow oxygen into it, to add some fuel into it, to get that flame going again. Apparently, there was a gift that Timothy had, a gift of God, a supernatural gift that he was not using, and that gift was dying off. Now, it doesn't tell us what that gift is here, but if you were actually to flip back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, I think we can figure out what that gift is. So 1 Timothy 4.13 says, Paul talking to Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So he says, go ahead and practice this gift you've been given, which is teaching, exhortation, reading of scripture that you were given when the hands were laid upon you. So now you've got Paul talking about this gift that was given when he laid hands upon him, more than likely referring to the same gift. In other words, Timothy had been gifted to preach and to teach, but he wasn't utilizing that gifting. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly why he wasn't utilizing that gift, but you can tell because of verse seven, the thing that was stopping him was fear. He says, you got to fan the flame. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Now, we don't know exactly what he was afraid of. He, he might have been afraid of ending up in the same place of as Paul, if you preach the gospel, you might end up in a prison cell in Mamertime prison in Rome and, and wasting away. And maybe he was afraid of that. More than likely, his biggest fear was the elders who were in Ephesus. Because back in 1 Timothy, we learned that Paul had told him to, to call out those elders giving false teaching. These elders were longstanding, powerful leaders in the city of Ephesus. And maybe they were resisting Timothy as he was preaching and teaching against them, telling him he shouldn't do it. And maybe he was fearful. Maybe it was just the timidity or the insecurity of Timothy's personality. Whatever it was, we know he was afraid to utilize his gift. And Paul is saying, Timothy, you must fan into flame the gift God has given you. Don't let it grow cold. Don't let it die out. Why? Because God has not given you a spirit of fear. Timothy, don't let fear control you. Now, I think the same message could be said of us today. Because if we were honest, 
There's a whole lot of us and we're letting fear control us. Maybe it's the coronavirus thing going on. It's getting so amazingly close. Right now, I just had a meeting with the mayor and the fire chief and the medical director of the city. And they're saying in Arlington, cases are going up a much, much faster rate than they had hoped for. It's getting dangerous. We just this week learned that one of our own pastors tested positive for COVID-19. The circle is getting so much closer to us. Look, I know you're feeling the same thing. You know by name now somebody who's got COVID-19. I'm almost certain of it because it seems to be coming on our, on our doorstep. And there are some of you right now who are genuinely afraid and you're isolating because you're so scared of what's gonna happen. Or maybe for you, it's not coronavirus. Maybe you're just afraid of what's gonna happen with your marriage because it's not, it's not staying strong. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your job. You feel like it's teetering on the verge of, of being taken from you. I don't know. There's something that is consuming you and debilitating you. It's a fear. And Paul is saying we must not let fear control us. Why? Because we haven't been given a spirit of fear. He says we've been given a spirit, but it's not a fear. It's actually the spirit. The Holy Spirit is who we've been given. And when you have the Holy Spirit, you have power. You have love and you have self-control. I'm going to talk about those three things for just one second. You've been given through the spirit, a spirit of power. That word in Greek is dunamis. That's where the word dynamite comes from. You've been given explosive, amazing power. Let me tell you what that means. That means you have more power than the coronavirus has. That means that the coronavirus will not defeat you. Now, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying, well, Jason said, then go kiss somebody who's got coronavirus because I'm stronger than the coronavirus. That is not what I'm saying. This does not make you impenetrable to the coronavirus. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that ultimately the coronavirus will not destroy the church. The coronavirus will not destroy your faith. It will not destroy your hope. The coronavirus will not have the ultimate victory. Why? Because you have power in Christ Jesus. You know the end of the story. You have power. You don't have to be afraid of the coronavirus. But he also says, we have a spirit of love. And let me tell you what that means. It means that though we don't have to be afraid of the coronavirus, we still take the steps necessary out of love for those around us not to spread it. The mayor, when we had our city meeting, said over and over again, please guys, tell your churches and tell your people to wear their masks. And you get that when you wear a mask, it's not really about protecting you, it's about protecting people around you, right? You get that. It's to keep your germs to yourself. That's why you wear a mask. It is out of love. That word in Greek is agape love, unconditional love. Listen, I get it. I, I get it. You don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to wear a mask. But when I walk around the church, when I walk around the building, I do. Why? Out of love for the people around me. I get it. We want to be together in worship. We don't want virtual worship services anymore. We want to gather together, yet we're doing wor virtual worship. Why? Out of love. We're giving up our own preferences for the sake of other people because we've been given a spirit of love. But not just that. We've been given a spirit of self-control. That word self-control in the Greek also means sober-mindedness or level-headedness, which I want to tell you right now, if we needed anything in this world we live in, it is level-headedness. Because I don't know how you feel, but here's how I feel. I feel like every day I am getting inundated with so much information that is antithetical. Like one article says, everything's getting better now. Coronavirus is going away. It's less strong. Another one saying, you're going to die tomorrow. I mean, just like polar opposite opinions. The, the market, how one's up, one's down. The racial tension in the country, it's getting better. It's getting worse. I mean, it's just like so polarized in our views of things. And you know what that does? It makes us all feel like we don't even know who to trust. 
we don't even know if we can handle all this information and it makes us afraid. But we've been given a spirit of level-headedness, sober-mindedness that can take all this stuff and compute it with the lens of faith and say, my God is still in control. I don't have to be afraid. And listen, if the world needed to see anything right now, it needs to see people who have this, who have a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of level-headedness. And this is exactly what we have to offer this world that needs it. This is the moment for the church to shine because of the spirit we've been given. But make no mistake about it. You don't have power and love and self-control, level-headedness because of your ability. You have it because of God's spirit. It comes from God, not you. And this is so important to understand when you think about fear. There is, like I mentioned before, an antidote to fear. There is a way to fight fear. And the way you fight fear is by faith in the promises of God. Listen, if you don't hear anything I say this whole morning, please hear this one thing. The only way to fight fear is by claiming the promises of God by faith. To believe that God is true in what he says. This is the very thing that Paul tells Timothy in verses 8 through 14. I want us to keep on reading this passage of scripture because I want you to see how he tells Timothy to have faith. Verse 8, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, in which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, hear this, for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So Paul begins saying, Timothy, please don't be ashamed of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner in my chains. There's a reason why Paul had to say that to Timothy. There was a good chance that Timothy was struggling with this because in that culture to be imprisoned was an incredibly shameful thing. And here was Timothy looking at his mentor, looking at his spiritual father, and there he is rotting away in a prison cell. And there was a sense that shame could come up in him. In fact, in the city of Ephesus, there were already people who had rejected Paul because they were ashamed of his chains. That's actually what he gets to in verses 15 through 18. Now, I'm going to unpack 8 through 14 a little bit more in a second, but let's move over to 15 through 18. I want you to hear how people were rejecting Paul because of his chains. Verse 15 says, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So Paul says, all those in Asia turned away from me. Now, when he says Asia, he's not talking about like China. And he's talking about East Asia, or excuse me, Asia Minor, which was where Ephesus was at. So he's talking about the place where Timothy has been in charge to pastor and to shepherd. He's saying the people in Ephesus, they've turned their backs on me. And he mentions two names, Phygelus and, and Hermogenes. He mentions those names more than likely because they were his own friends who had turned their back on him because of his chains. They had determined that surely God's favor could not be upon Paul if he was in prison. Maybe he wasn't God's man and they turned their back on Paul. 
And he compares that with Onesiphorus. And he says, if you look at him, he was not ashamed of my chains. He was proud of me and he came to me. And he's saying, Timothy, in the same way, don't be afraid of chains. Don't bring shame into these chains because these chains are not the end. He says, be willing to suffer, be willing to endure chains. Yes, I know, Timothy, if you preach the gospel, you could end up like me, incarcerated, sentenced to die. They can take all this away from me, but don't be discouraged, Timothy, because God has a greater hope for you. And what he's trying to help Timothy understand is that he knows it can be worth it because God promises it will be worth it. Heaven is the reward and God always makes good on his promises. That's what verse 12 was about. If you look back at that verse, when he was talking about the, the, the magnitude of his faith, he says, look, I know I'm suffering, but I know why I suffer because I know in whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he entrusted to me. When he says God can guard what's been entrusted to me, he's talking about the salvation, the eternal life that has been given to the apostle Paul. And he's saying God himself will guard that salvation. No one can take it away from me. He's saying, Timothy, look at me. They can take away my freedom. They can take away my money. They can take away my reputation and my dignity. They can even take away my life. But let me tell you what they cannot take away. They cannot take away my salvation. Why? Because God himself will guard that. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it in me. And he's saying, Timothy, I don't have to be afraid because I know how the story ends. And you don't have to be afraid either, young Timothy, because you too can take confidence in that. Timothy, trust me. You're in his hands. And if he owns you and he has you, no one can rob you from it. That's actually back in verses eight and nine, what he was trying to help Timothy understand. You get a beautiful picture of the gospel in verses eight and nine, what his faith is built on. Look, look back at those two verses with me. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. He says, Timothy, make sure you remember the gospel. You can suffer when you know he saved you. He didn't save you because of your own works, he says. He saved you because of his own purpose and grace. Let me tell you what that means. That means you can be sure of salvation because of God's goodwill, not because of your good works. If you didn't earn your salvation, you can't lose your salvation. It's the work of God. And here's what he says. It's been given to you before you even had a chance to earn it. God saved us because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Does that not make your mind go, before time itself even started, he purposed to love you. He purposed to give you salvation. That's what he's saying. He's saying that you don't have to earn his love because he already loved you before you could even earn it. He sought you. He pursued you. He sent his son to die for you because he loves you. And it makes me think about the adoption of my daughter, Jovi. I, I, I love this fact that God gave us this gift. We actually began the adoption process that took three years. But when we adopted her, she was two years old, which means for one whole year, we were pursuing this little girl when she wasn't even born yet. We loved her before she was even born. That's the picture of what he's talking about right here. He, he wanted to pursue you out of love to adopt you before you were even thought of. I love how Ephesians puts it. Ephesians chapter three, verses one through seven. Incredibly beautiful passage of scripture. But it talks about 
how the Lord works in our hearts and minds. Verse three, he said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. He predestined us for adoption in love before we were even born. Before the foundation of the world, he purposed to love us. He chose us. Now let me tell you what this means. It means God's, God loves you. And if he loves you, you don't have to be afraid. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, one of the sweetest verses in the entire Bible, says, there is no fear in love because perfect, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear and love cannot coexist because love will exterminate fear just like light will take away darkness. Perfect love casts out fear. I want you to know I believe that verse. Not just because this word says it, though that would be enough. I believe it because I've seen it played out in my own family. Now many of you know my daughter Jovi when we adopted her three years ago. If you were a part of our story, you know that she utterly rejected me. For a number of months, she couldn't stand to be around me. And it was heartbreaking. In fact, we captured it on video when we were in China just so that we could remember how deeply she rejected me. So I want you to watch this video. I want you to see the magnitude of her rejection of me. Check this out. She doesn't even know why she's crying. She just knows she can't stand to be in daddy's arms. I want to make sure she remembers these days for later. We'll have a nice laugh about it, won't we? She can take food from me. But she can't stand to be with me. She feels guilty for eating the food I give her. I don't like this man. But I want I don't want his food, but I can't stop eating it. I'm conflicted. <laughs> my, my poor little baby girl. She couldn't even stand to be in my arms. It was like that all the time. When I walked into a room, she would literally scream and turn out running. She was so afraid. Now we found out later on why. She had endured some abuse, some hardship. And it was so difficult to understand, likely at the hands of a man, which is why she feared men. And here I come in, I got facial hair, I got a deep voice, and, and she's afraid, understandably so. But she couldn't at that moment experience me or my love. But the Lord called me to love that little girl. And so for days and weeks and months, all I could do was love her. When she screamed when I tried to change her diaper, when she screamed when I tried to give her a bath, when she screamed when I tried to hold her, it didn't matter. I kept on loving her and loving her and loving her. And the most incredible thing happened. After months of loving this little girl, her heart finally opened up. And I saw the power of love to conquer fear. Here we are three years later, and I want you to know my relationship with my little girl is so different. In fact, a few weeks ago, we caught on video just a sweet moment I had with her. I wanted you to see because I want to see how far we've come and how powerful love is. Watch this video. You want me to tickle you? Yeah. You want me to tickle you? <laughs> Blow me kisses. Love you. More? Mm -hmm. 
I got you. I got you. <laughs> you see the, the joy in her little heart. I want you to know that little girl loves me. Every time I see her, the first thing she says, Daddy, put me night-night. <laughs> she wants me to read to her and hold her and sing to her and pray over her. She wants to be with me. She loves me. You want to know why? Because my love conquered her fear. Love casts out fear. Fear cannot exist when there's love. Listen, my love is an imperfect love. His love is a perfect love. And that scripture tells us perfect love casts out fear. Listen, when we know the magnitude of Christ's love for us, when we know what the Father was willing to do for us, that he loved us so much, he was willing to send his one and only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. When we know that magnitude of love, we don't have anything to be afraid of. Listen, I know we're living in crazy times. I know how uncertain it feels, how, how discombobulated you can feel day in and day out as you get more and more information. But here's what I want you to know. You don't have to be afraid. Why? One, because our God is not shaken by what's taking place in this world. He is sovereign and in control. And two, he loves you. And that's all you need to know to drown out every single bit of fear. You just got to receive his love. One of the things I'm most worried about is that there's some of you who are watching this right now. And the, the father loves you so deeply, but you haven't ever received his love. Listen, my daughter, Joby, for months didn't get to experience my love. I loved her. I wanted to give her my love, but she just wouldn't receive it. She was too afraid. And it wasn't until she finally opened her heart up to me to trust my love that she got to experience my love. She got to experience me tickling her. She got to experience me holding her. She got to experience me playing Barbies with her and loving on her and doing all the things a daddy does with his daughter. She just had to open her heart up to my love. And I'm afraid right now you don't realize the father loves you so fiercely, but you're closed to him and you're not experiencing his love. And that needs to change today. Listen, I want you to know you can open up your heart to God and receive his love and enter into relationship with Christ Jesus. The scriptures tell us how to do it. It says that all you got to do is confess that you haven't treated God the way he deserves to be treated. You've rebelled, you've sinned. That's what the Bible calls that. You've chosen your own pathway instead of God's way. You confess that, you repent of it, you ask for forgiveness and you place your faith in Christ that what he did on the cross was enough to pay for your sins and you let him become the master, the Lord of your life because you trust in his loving ability to lead you. And when you do that, the scriptures say you will be saved and you'll experience his love. I believe there are some of you watching this and you, maybe you feel like you're just not lovable. Maybe you feel like, like God couldn't do that because of the mistakes you made. Or maybe you don't know if you can trust God. Let me tell you, you can trust him. This book tells you how good he is. He sent his son for you. He loves you. You just gotta be willing by faith to believe he can love you and he wants to love you. And open yourself up to him. If you're ready to place your faith in Christ Jesus, to receive his love and watch that love cast out all of your fear. And I want you to let us know. We want to partner with you as pastors of this church. We want to call you, reach out to you and help you take the step of faith. So here's what I want to ask you to do. You can text the word next step to 94253, just like you see it on your screen. Look, I know you see this week after week. Don't ignore this, this sign, this moment right now. Text, get your phone out, text it, or you can go to fielder.org slash next step. You can let us know, let a pastor know that you need prayer, that you need someone to help you enter into this relationship with Christ Jesus to begin this faith journey with him, to receive his love, to watch fear melt away.
but it'll only happen if you let us know. So please take a moment to do that. But listen, I know there are many of you watching this and I know you have already made that decision to follow Christ. But every single morning you wake up, you have a decision to make. Am I gonna live in faith, believing in God's power and his love for me or am I gonna live in fear? And I think the only way you're gonna eradicate that fear in your life is to constantly come back to the love of Christ for you to recognize the magnitude of how much he loves you. And so in a moment, we're gonna sing a song. One thing remains where we sing about his love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. We're gonna declare that in song and then we're gonna take the Lord's Supper following that. And we're gonna look at the magnitude of his love for us. In the bread and in the cup, you're gonna see the body of Christ that was crucified for us, the blood of Christ that was shed for us so we can see with our own eyes just how deeply he loves us. But first we're gonna worship during this song, one of you can go get the supplies for all the believers to take the Lord's Supper, but prepare your heart, meditate on the breadth and the magnitude of Christ's love, and let that remind you why you don't need to be afraid. Now's the time. Prepare your heart.